Well, if you are new years to the church, we've been doing this uh, journey called Demolishing Strongholds. And, and very simply, it's from this. If you can't see on the camera or online or whatever it is, it's from breaking down enemy strongholds to building Jesus as the stronghold of our lives. And you might still be thinking, I don't exactly know what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a thought or idea or an argument that has settled in your life and you've agreed to it and now it's ruling over your behavior. That's what a stronghold is. It's not something spooky spiritual. It can't be demonically inspired. Many of them are. But it's literally become a way of thinking that now governs your life because you've agreed to it. Somewhere along the line, consciously or unconsciously, you've said, yep, I agree with that. And so now that thought is governing your behavior. They could be positive or they could be negative. For example, maybe you've got a stronghold. My God is faithful. And it's not just a head knowledge. No, no, it's become a strong, it's become something, revelation. You've bowed your knee and said, yes, my God is faithful. The fruit of that is you'll live a life of peace and security because my God is faithful. It now rules your behavior and your attitude because that's become a stronghold in your thinking. Or maybe God is good. This is the one I've been working on recently, praying, Lord, I want a greater revelation of your goodness. I want this to be a stronghold in my life. My God is good. Which means instead of living a life of dread and fear, expecting everything to go wrong, I'm saying surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If I follow the one who is good, goodness and mercy will follow me. I want that as a stronghold of my life. But over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of these as well. Chaz was preaching about substance abuse. Maybe without even knowing it, you've got a stronghold in your life. Alcohol helps me cope. Maybe that's become the stronghold. So the more stressed you get, the more you drink. Because in your mind, you're thinking alcohol helps me cope. We heard Marilisa's testimony. I'm unlovable. I was rejected. My parents showed me that actually I'm not worthy of love, deserving of love. And so without thinking, the stronghold has settled over your life. I'm unlovable. So for my whole life, I'm one relationship after another. I'm just waiting for people to reject me because I know I'm unlovable. That's a stronghold, the enemy that Jesus wants to break. Or maybe we looked at racism. All black people, all white people, all Indian people, they're all the same. One race better than another. It's settled over your life. Now you're living a life of bitterness and judgment and critical because that's become a stronghold in your life. And we trust in God through this journey to demolish enemy strongholds and establish Jesus as the stronghold of your life. Now I'm waffling because I'm afraid to get to today's subject. Today we're going to talk about something light and breezy, sexual strongholds. Someone said, yo, must have been tough preaching about racism. Nah, that was easy. This is the one. I want to talk about sexual strongholds. Parents, I think this is fine for your kids. I think it would be better for your children to hear it from a pastor in church than discuss it with their mates on the playground. So I think what I'm going to share today is suitable for children. Not going to be able to get through everything, but basically I want to talk about three strongholds today. Number one, the stronghold of lust. And how pornography in particular has become such a dominant stronghold in so many Christians' lives, people's lives right around the world. And then I want to talk about two strongholds which look on the extremes. One, sex is everything. And the other, sex is dirty. And how sometimes people can be drawn into one or the other and how truth sets us free. 
So take a deep breath and extend me grace today. What I've asked the preachers who've been preaching this journey is to try and make their lives vulnerable so it's not academic, but it's real. So what that means is I want to remind you that I haven't always been a Christian. And I want to remind you that even as a Christian, it doesn't mean to say I don't face temptation and struggles and wrestles and need Jesus as my victory. Please be gracious. So number one, lust as a stronghold. I was exposed to pornography when I was really young. But I was exposed in a way that it wasn't something wicked or evil or, or secret. No, actually it was acceptable. Actually, it's not a big thing. It's actually quite normal. In fact, there was this little saying that I picked up along the way, and it was simply this. It's okay to look, just not to touch. I heard it a couple of times, and it, it kind of filtered its way into me as, a, as I wasn't a Christian at the time. And this thought, it's okay to look, just not to touch, settled over my life and became a stronghold. By God's grace, I didn't touch. Thank you, Jesus. I've only ever been with one woman in my life. She's sitting at the back, probably at the sound desk. Kate and I have been married 25 years, and we both kept ourselves from marriage, and thank you, Jesus, for that. But to look, well, that's okay, isn't it? So when I was 17 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And at that age, two things happened. Number one, when I gave my life to Jesus, I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that actually looking is not right. But at the same time, 17, 18, 19 was the time that the internet was being invented. I know some of you can't imagine a world without the internet, but there actually was life before the internet. And when the internet was created, the most prolific explosion on the internet was pornographic sites. And something went from being difficult to attain, secret, and, and now it was suddenly at your fingertips. So as I gave my life to Jesus, came under the conviction of the Spirit, this is wrong, but at the same time, the enemy just opened the door to the world, making the availability of pornography something so easy. I've looked at a little bit of data, a little bit of research. I'm going to just read out some facts to you quickly. Because what I want to say is it's no different... In fact, I've got a real compassion in my heart for our young people of today. I think it's getting more and more difficult for our teenagers, for our youngsters. Average age that kids get exposed to pornography nowadays is 11 and going down. They're going to be exposed to it. Whether you're a super-duper Christian who monitors everything your kids ever do, chances are they're still going to be exposed to it from their mates on a phone somewhere along the line. It's going to happen. We have to prepare them for it. It's not just a guy problem. I always thought it was guys who struggle with lust. Nope. Statistically, it's just as much of a problem nowadays for girls as it is for guys. And it's naughty. And it's exciting. And it gives you an adrenaline rush. gives you an arousal. And you look once, look twice. Next thing, it becomes an addiction in your life. So here's a bit of data. Over 40 million Americans, that's one in eight. One out of eight every Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. In other words, they're addicts. One out of every eight people you see. The average visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. Don't know how they measure that, but they do. So it's kind of this regular, just six minutes. Secondly, there are around 42 million porn websites, 
which totals around 370 million pages of porn. In other words, there's more porn pages than there are people living in America. Thirdly, the porn industry's annual revenue, in other words, how much money does the porn industry make, is more than the National Football League, this is American stuff, so more than the American Football, plus the Basketball League, plus the Baseball League. More than all of those industries added together. You know all those big Super Bowl, all those events? Add all of their incomes together, it's still not as much as the porn industry. The revenue of, of porn is more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC, all of their biggest television channels. Fourthly, 47%, that's half, half of the families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home, half. Pornography use increases marital infidelity, in other words, affairs, by more than 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. Remember, average doesn't mean minimum. Average means average. means there's a whole lot of people younger and older, but that's the average. And 94%, that's pretty much all of them, will see porn by the age of 14. 56%, that's more than half, of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. More than half of the the, the divorces that happen, that's the problem. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. This is my worst one. 68%, that's two out of three men of church-going men, and over 50%, that's half of pastors, view porn on a regular basis. Regular equals addicts. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old of age, 76%, that's three quarters, three out of every four, actively search for porn. That's in the church. That's us, church. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of women, that's one out of every three, age 25 and under, search for porn at least once a month. Only 13% of self-identified women, Christian women, sorry, not 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn, whereas 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 55%, that's over half of married men. And 25%, that's one out of every four of married women, say they watch porn at least once a month. And 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Say yikes. In other words, what I'm saying is this is a serious stronghold. There's no point not talking about a church and just pretending it's not going to be the same for us. That's an American problem, not our problem. Nope, reality is we would be naive to think this is not happening amongst us. This is not part of the enemy's strategy in your life, in my life, and in our families. So why is pornography such a problem? Well, firstly, because Jesus doesn't say it's okay to look but not to touch. Jesus says looking at pornography, lust is adultery. Matthew 5, verses 27 to 29, Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
It's not okay to look because actually it's your heart that's now having an affair. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, Jesus is not saying this is a trivial matter. He's saying this is a serious issue that he wants to save us from. So pornography is adultery of the heart. And that means it does lead to a sense of betrayal and broken trust, loss of intimacy, broken covenants. Remember that a stronghold is an argument that we build up inside of our minds. And maybe even now you're sitting there and in your mind you are hating me, hating the word of God and building an argument why you haven't got a problem. Actually, it's not wrong. It's actually art. It's actually not harming anyone. Well, if that's your argument, tell your spouse. Because if you're too afraid to tell your spouse, then you just admit that you're lying to yourself. If that's your argument, then train your kids in the same argument. Suddenly you might realize maybe it's not such a good argument. Pornography is a sin that destroys relationships. Remember church, maybe I'm sounding harsh, but I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. I'm not preaching to someone who hasn't had to fight this thing ongoingly all the time. So please hear my heart. I'm not, I don't in any way want to come across judgmental or critical. I'm in the trenches with you. Number two, because it's addictive. Looking at porn releases those same happy hormones that drugs, alcohol, all of those things do. It's those, uh, what's a dopamine that's uh, released into our system. But just like any other drug, every time it releases a little bit less, so you have to get more to get the same high. That's what addictions are based on. So just like drugs or alcohol, to get back to that same high, you have to go deeper, you have to have more. Same with pornography. What used to be wow, now is boring, so you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Suddenly you find yourself looking at things that you would never normally have done, but it's sucked you, it's drawn you in more and more and more, because that's how addictions work. Jesus said in Galatians 5 verse 1, he said it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus was desperate for us to be free, to be free, to worship him, to love him, to enjoy the life that he's created us for. Addictions rob us, put us back into slavery. And so Jesus died so that we could be free. Don't lose that freedom. Remember that the flesh lies. The flesh, the temptations of our heart, they lie. They promise us just a quick look, a quick this, a quick that, and it'll satisfy you. It never satisfies you. It lures you in to something deeper and darker. Third reason, why is it so dangerous? Is because pornography hardens your heart to intimacy. Part of our salvation is a soft heart. Because soft hearts are sensitive to God, sensitive to His Holy Spirit, sensitive to the people around us. It takes a soft heart to intimately connect. And you and I were created for intimacy. We were created for connection, for love. So the enemy's strategy is to do everything he can to harden our hearts so that we don't find those intimate connections, so that we go looking elsewhere to try and fill the void inside. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The more sensitive your heart, the more in tune you'll be with God. One of the 
the weapons I'll speak about in a moment is that truth verse. Because just like David brought down Goliath with one round stone, I believe it's so often these truth verses. When God speaks to you a truth, and that truth you use to bring down the strongholds in our lives. For me, this was the verse that's helped me walk in victory and slay this giant of pornography. It says in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, you might be a bit of a strange verse when you first look at it. But it says, having lost all sensitivity. Say sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality. Say sensuality. So as to indulge in every kind of purity and they, have a f- and they are full of greed. Or some translations say with a continual lust for more. I felt God speak to me this. You've got to choose. You can choose sensitivity or sensuality, but you can't have both. God created us for sensitivity But if you lose sensitivity, you're going to go and bail out to sensuality. Now, let me explain what that means with the help of some of these props right here. This is mir and sear water. Mir and sear water is slightly different because it's desalinated. Did you know that? We take the seawater down there, pilot project, and we'd get our water out of the sea. Mm, It's good. This is Richards Bay municipal water. Like wine tasting. Just, no, I actually prefer Mironcia water, to be honest. It's got a little, little z- salty zing to it. This is bottled water. Mmm. It is good. It's almost got a crisper kind of taste to it. Don't laugh at me. I'm a water drinker. I mean, I actually love water. I will drink water and coffee. That's basically, or sometimes stony, but that has to be a special occasion. My point is this. If you're a water drinker, you'll actually learn to taste the difference between water. I love water now. I've grown to enjoy it, and you can pick up the subtle little differences between it. But there's a problem. If after enjoying water, uh, that's the problem right there. That, listen, listen to me, that is the problem right there. You see, after drinking water and enjoying the subtle differences, and actually I enjoy drinking water, one sip of Coke is all it took. Now, I'm not against Coke. Let me hide the label. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm against anything that's going to massively overload your senses, full of sugar, full of all of those things. All of your taste buds go, wow, because they explode with the sensual overload. And after essential overload, water tastes boring and bland. This right here is what's killing marriages and why pornography is so dangerous. See, God created you for intimacy and sensitivity. Now, please hear my heart. Don't judge me. The reality is sex in marriage is like water. It's created to be sensitive, to be intimate, and to be enjoyed. But after you've been looking on the internet, wow, that's amazing, whatever, guess what that tastes like? Dull and boring and bland. That's the problem right there. You see, all we're doing is bailing out of sensitivity, bombing our way straight into sensuality, And suddenly you can't go backwards now because now everything else looks boring and bland. Suddenly your wife is not nearly as beautiful as arousing as that. Why doesn't she do that? And guess what's happened? You've now lost interest. 
You stop pursuing it because you're not pursuing sensitivity anymore. You're just looking for your next hit of sensuality. Does that make sense? That's what's destroying marriages right there. We've got to make a choice, men and women. We've got to make a choice. Do you want to be someone sensitive or do you want to be someone sensual? Because if you choose sensitive, you'll find an ever-increasing intimacy as you pursue one another in marriage. If you choose sensuality, you get a sugar rush high, but then everything else looks dull and boring and bland. Sensitivity. You don't overload your senses, and so you get to enjoy the beauty of being fulfilled through your spouse. You pursue her or him, and intimacy with them is satisfying. With sensuality, you overload your sin nature and its senses and are always left wanting more to fulfill that sugar rush. Your spouse is no longer arousing or satisfying, and so marriages are destroyed. Why is this such a critical thing? The big idea is that this stronghold, I believe, is probably the biggest destroyer of marriages in the world today. Because pornography hardens the heart, hard hearts drift apart, and soft hearts stay together. I want to talk about a couple of weapons. Weapon number one, probably the most powerful, vicious weapon against the enemy there is, is the courage to confess. Because what lives in the darkness belongs to the devil, what's brought into the light belongs to God. I remember as a young Christian going to the pastor, saying, Mr. Pastor, I need to just share some stuff with you. And I thought to myself, when I tell him this, I was going to be this leader in the church and call of God. When he hears this, I'm going to be like blacklisted. No, no, I discovered. Now I'm on the receiving end as a pastor. When people come to me, I've realized I don't blacklist people when they confess stuff to me. My respect for them goes huge because we all face our different battles. And having the courage to bring things out of the darkness into the light is where the power of the gospel begins to set people free. Now, as a pastor... I'm surrounded. I'm so grateful to God. I've got close friends, other pastors, who we hold each other accountable. When I go off and do these apostolic trips to different places and I stay in the home of pastors, we don't just talk deep theology. I've got to say to the pastors, hey, tell me how you're going in this struggle with temptation and lust. And let me tell you, some of those conversations are, what are you talking about? I'm a pastor. I float on cloud now. No, no. It's real and it's hectic. Confession is powerful. Truth verse. You heard my truth verse. If you're struggling, ask God, Lord, give me, like you gave David a pebble, a stone to bring down the giant. Give me your word. There's technology tools. In fact, I've put together a couple of technology tools. Things to protect your phone and your computer. Things to, you know, you get such things as as sobriety apps. Those are those things, whatever your addiction is, that every single day it'll challenge you to make a fresh pledge. Every single day it'll ask you, how did you do today? Did you stand by your pledge? How was your mood? What affected you? What triggered you? And I can recommend those to you. A daily reading plan for 40 days to help you find the scriptures to walk through. I've got a list of those tools. If you want to WhatsApp me, I'll happily send you the list. Maybe it takes a first step of courage. Pastor, why don't you just send me some of those tools? I also want to say there's other folk in the church that we've walked a road with who can now walk a road with you. You're not alone in your wrestle. There are others just like you feeling just as embarrassed in our own wrestles who can stand by your side. Are you still there? 
very quiet today. Let me very quickly finish on a, on a lighter note then and talk about these other two strongholds. Sex is life or sex is dirty. See, these are two opposites extreme. I've been wrestling with our swimming pool again. The problem is trying to get that pH to the 7.2 or 7.4 kind of mark. As soon as it's too acidic or too alkaline, either side of the right pH, the pool just goes green and I'm fighting this thing. Our pool, it always seems to need more alkaline to get it back up. I don't know what caused it, that's it. Now exactly the same thing. Sometimes in marriage, one or both of you can, can be on one side instead of the truth of God's word. You can slip into this, sex is everything. And instead of sex being good, it has become a God in your life. On the other side, sex is dirty. I want to start by looking at the pH, the right in the middle of God's word. And this scripture might surprise you if you haven't studied it before. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, it says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. It's talking there about intimacy, sex within marriage. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to going to the prayer meeting or just to pray. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me just make some quick notes I'm going to read to you. These are available in the Connect Group notes as well. If you do want to get a copy of those, your home group leader will have, or you can get them from us at the office. Number one, sex in marriage is actually a duty to your spouse, not a right for yourself. God's will is an attitude of serving one another sexually. Sex is not the ultimate, and sex is not dirty. It is, in fact, a godly duty. Great duty, but actually the Bible calls it a duty. Secondly, God's will is a yielding or submitting to one another sexually. When you get married, you give, till death do you part, authority over your body to your spouse. That's why sex outside of the covenant of marriage is so dangerous, because it truly unites two bodies. Thirdly, there should be agreement before the Lord in terms of how and how often. The issue is not me fulfilling my needs, but me serving my spouse's needs. And fourthly, God's will is that you help protect your spouse from Satan's attacks by serving them sexually. There's a protection of one another in a sexually overloaded world, realizing that there's a strong spiritual component to sexuality. Church, I want to ask you, your marriage right now, how's the pH balance sexually? It's a truly spiritual component to marriage and one that the enemy tries to destroy. So on the left, sex is life. We live in a sex-mad society. Everything, every advert, most programs, they're just loaded with it. In other words, the world has made too much of it. Sex has become an ideal, and it's become an idol, and sex has gone from a celebration of intimacy to actually this is what intimacy looks like, which it's not. It leaves your spouse feeling used and abused. The stronghold here is that sex equals intimacy. I could never be happy without a great sex life. That's become a stronghold. 
The result of that is it puts pressure on yourself and your spouse. You become demanding or depressed. You justify your unfaithfulness if you're not getting what you want or think you need from your spouse. Your stronghold of sex over intimacy has robbed the marriage of genuine intimacy. On the other side of the equation, sex is dirty. Maybe you've been abused or mistreated or mistaught. The sacredness of sex has been lost or stolen and replaced with shame, guilt, and revulsion. You can't see sex being holy, but rather as something that's sinful and dirty. The result of that is you deny sex to your spouse or you use it as a weapon. You can't give yourself fully to your spouse sexually. And your anti-sex stronghold deprives the marriage of the celebration of intimacy. So, what's the conclusion? Let me land and wrap it up. Here's my word of hope and caution to the singles, to the sinners, and to the sufferers. The very fact that we live in such a a sex-focused world, but not focus on the glorious husband and wife God designed, but rather every form of perversion and promiscuousness and whatever, it just shows the level of focus that the enemy has put to destroy this. And if the enemy has focused so much on this one thing, it's got to tell you how powerful God has created it to be. Sexual union is designed by God to create covenant and to maintain the unity of covenant. Genesis 2.24, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That's the marriage covenant right there. Sexual intimacy joins people together, not just physically, but there's an emotional and spiritual component as well. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said in 1 Corinthians six fifteen to 20, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it says the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't try and stand strong. Don't just, it says flee, run away from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I don't honestly understand exactly what that means, but Paul draws special attention to it. Every other sin they commit outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Sexual sin is somehow sin against our own bodies. So let me wrap up with the final scripture. 1 John 1, 7 to 9. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. For some of you, maybe you've been walking in darkness for too long. Maybe you've been walking, carrying secrets, carrying shame, carrying hurt, carrying addiction. There's a call from Jesus afresh to come and walk in the light. Verse number eight, if we claim to be without sin, in other words, we justify, we excuse, we try and, nah, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all 
unrighteousness. Friends, if you are wrestling in this area, you're definitely not alone. This is one of the major strongholds that the enemy has brought against the church and against Christians. You're not alone. But we want this series we're doing, this journey we're on right now, not to be an entertaining series where we, oh, that's interesting. We want to see the enemy's work destroyed and the stronghold of Jesus established. I really pray that what I've shared today doesn't come across in any way judgmental or critical. I've tried to share God's word and the importance of this issue. I've tried to be vulnerable with you as well to definitely say this is not me speaking to you. This is something I wrestle with. I want to ask you today, will you allow the stronghold to rule over you? Or let's find freedom in a stronghold in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I invite you once again, if you want to message me and say, Pastor, I need prayer, or won't you send me that little toolkit of some tools for my phone and for my life, I'll happily do that. There are people who want to walk with you and help. Amen. Please stand with me. If you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment. I'm not going to ask you if you struggle with sexual strongholds to put up your hand and come to the front. But I am going to ask you in the quietness of your heart. Just honestly before God right now. I'm not going to get you to respond in any way so you can relax. But Jesus is watching. And maybe you were standing here today saying, actually, you know what, Pastor, this is me. This area of pornography, oh, Maybe I am an addict. Maybe I am. It's, maybe it's time to deal with this. My spouse doesn't know. Or you're not married yet and it's becoming a stronghold which you're going to then take into marriage with you. Now's the time to break it and deal with it. Maybe you've had this elevated view. Sex is everything. It's, it's not good. Anymore. Now it's become a god to you, an idol. Or maybe on the other side, it's dirty. It's just, it's just something to be endured. Heavenly Father, we stand before you You know our hearts. You know the truth. We can't lie to you. We can't hide from you. Father, your word says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. Father, thank you for the people who've surrounded us. I know in my own life, in the past, to help me to hear my confession and to walk to victory. Father, I pray that we would love one another, help one another, serve one another into freedom. Father, I pray right now for marriages as well. Father, marriage is something sacred. It's the, it's the picture to the world of covenant. Jesus, you are the divine husband. We are your bride. You want our marriages to reflect the union of God and man. And Father, we've allowed things into our marriages which destroy and pervert. Come Holy Spirit. We're going to take captive every thought. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put his finger on thoughts in you. Take captive. Like I had to find that thought. It's okay to look, not to touch. You've got to take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Come Holy Spirit. Would you come and smash those enemy strongholds and replace them with the stronghold of Jesus, the truth. Thank you, Lord God. And Father, I pray finally for courage and boldness for people to stand up and walk into the light. Against every fear, every accusation the enemy throws at us, 
Will you grant courage and boldness to overcome? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for every one of the folk here this morning. If you are a visitor, you chose a crazy Sunday to come today. But Father, I pray that you would come and build your church, oh Lord. Come and build your church. Thank you, Lord God, that your gracious hand is upon us. Thank you that the Bible, your word, speaks into very real issues in our lives. We don't want to play church. We don't want to be pretend Christians. We want to be a real people for a real world. Help us to take hold of your word and to work it out in Jesus' name. And God's people saying...